Hello and welcome to another edition of The More the Merrier with Donna G. Coming up on today's show, I'll be speaking to Kanika Ambrose, the librettist for the brand new Canadian opera of the sea, being presented by Obsidian Theatre and Tapestry Opera in partnership with T.O. Live. And it is, yes, an all-black cast for this production of The Sea. You won't want to miss my interview with Kanika about this opera. And if her name sounds familiar, it's because last year she was my guest when we talked about her play, Our Place, which was running at Theatre Pass Marai, starring Virgilia Griffith and Sophia Walker. After that, we'll segue right into my interview with Luis Fernandez about the Assembly Theatre. It's a theatre that I'd never heard of, and I received an email from Luis, and that prompted this discussion So this will be mine and your introduction to the Assembly Theatre and what they do there and what they offer. So we'll be talking also about Comic Books Live, as well as the other plays that are happening. So let's get things started with uh, some fun. And this is a track by Motion Call, Feeling It, and then we'll go right into my interview with Kanika. You're listening to The More the Merrier with Donna G on CIUT 89.5 FM. Over time and cash checks, ride trains, lay hot tracks and pile stacks, high stakes, raise heart rates and brave max, got great A B on blocks and on streets. The tongue be rough, though the face be mad sweet. Some wanna suck on my lips like a peach. Some water box with the goddess, but yo, they arms can't reach. Some I reach, I'm chalking deluxe like ice cream. Spreading all over the cake like icing. I rapturous female, built for competition. Born on concrete, Mike's was my nutrition. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to rise at I'm not to blame for this voice of your one minute in my guilty crimes that I took my time Turned your yo's into moans when you had the time To prepare for the hotness, tried to chop this Got chopped and turned, ain't no need to discuss an understandable weakness Brown, black, Venus, that grab that shit, shit sit in the cup like a head Buying me drinks, put their number in my cellular But I'll be breaking the 
hearts are hard rocks. Love my lips, love my tits, love the dreadlocks. They got a need, man. Some will even bleed and shit. Wanted me to be the mother of these seasons. But sorry, baby, you were ready for it like that. Wanted bed back, can't handle the fan fat. Honey, I feel you, but it ain't going down like that. Loving to slap, but only got one pussy cat. You're packing weight, yo, I really wanna see that. Best not front if you really don't be that. Drink your ginseng, breathe and do your laps. Get enough sleep, cause you're really gonna need that. Yeah, believe that. You're listening to CIUT 89.5 FM. This is The More the Merrier with Donna G. Joining me is someone who has visited this show before, Kanika Ambrose. And she was last here in 2022 of November when we were talking about her play, Our Place, starring Virgilia Griffith and Sophia Walker. This time she's back to talk about Of the Sea, which will be running March 25th to April 1st at the Bluma Appel Theater. And last time I spoke to Kanika, we touched a bit on her work as a librettist. So I'm going to pick it back up there. Mm -hmm. And Kanika, welcome back to The More the Merrier with Donna G. Thanks, Donna. And librettist, we touched on it briefly, um, among the other artistic ventures <laughs> that you are involved with. But yeah. for our listeners, um, could you tell us what a librettist is? Yes, and a, a librettist is somebody who writes the story and the words to an opera. For Of the Sea, your composer is Ian Cusson. Yes. And um, so let's talk about the librettist part. Mm -hmm. um when did that start and could you share the story that you were writing about yeah so I in 2018 summer of 2018 uh I was in tapestry opera's lib lab and they put so lib lab is the composer librettist laboratory where they put together four writers they don't need to be librettists um I wasn't at the time and four composers and we worked together in an intensive 10-day program and create four new short operas. So Of the Sea was born there when Ian and I worked together and composed a short piece. It was 10 minutes at the time. And it was very apparent through that process that there were there was legs to the story and it was something that all parties wanted to explore further. Um, so, so to touch upon what the story is actually about, um, it's a familiar story to... I would hope everybody, the middle passage. Um, 
um, but but exploring what actually happened to the people who were thrown overboard um, and how the water is permanently changed by those people. So, um, so we've created an, a mythical underwater realm where um, the Africans who were thrown overboard during the missile pa middle passage have created magical mythical kingdoms where they exist and thrive or seek revenge or whatever it is that they do down there. Do you remember where the impetus for this story came from? Yes, um, we so part of our, one of our challenges in the the Lib Lab was to create a virtual reality opera, and Ian and I um, went to an arcade and we we played a virtual reality game and it was the easiest one. Basically, we were just floating, and we weren't sure if we were in the air or in the sea. And we decided that we wanted to do, we were going to explore stories from our own um, cultural heritage. As Ian is Métis, I'm of Caribbean descent, and um, and uh, explore explore mythology from our places of origin. And because I was the, the the librettist and we had a short amount of time, I was like, okay, I, what I what's familiar to me is Caribbean folklore, and um, I had heard some stories about um, about what had possibly happened to our ancestors in the water, and so my impetus was to expand on and on that and create my own mythology and my own narrative. Okay, so I want to know more about your collaboration with with Ian. Mm -hmm. So, are you writing the story and he's waiting to put it to music? Or is mm -hmm. it a back and forth flow? Um, it's very much, uh, it's very much not like a musical. Um, I wrote this the whole story or what I thought was the whole story and gave it to him as a first draft libretto. Then we had uh, some libretto workshops where we were able to get feedback, ask questions. We had some actors read it to hear it out loud and just make sure, much like a play, which is why I like writing libretti. It's much like a play. You workshop the libretto until ready to be set to music. So I don't hand out over the libretto until it's until it's ready. Because once once you set it to music, it becomes a bit harder to shift. Um, and then, of course, um, as Ian's working on it, things become clearer to him, or he realizes, oh, it would be great if we had an aria here or the way this music is going, it would be great if we had more space here or less space here. And can we add this? Or he asks for clarity. So it becomes collaborative more. So once he actually starts putting the music to it. Okay. Um, so yeah. is he um, basing the lyrics on, on what you've said and the musicality of that? Is that how that works? Uh, not no so I there he doesn't do any of the text it's all I did all of the text he he said oh he's doing only the music um right so, so yeah. you've done the test the text yeah how does the music come in is he looking at your words and is he creating music based on the flow of your text oh so I'm not a composer, but this is how I imagine. And from hearing from Ian, how he works is that 
he he bases the music off of the emotional journeys of the character and yeah basically telling the story so it's it's not like musical where the words are exactly set to like there there's a lot of um well, how should i say it there's a lot of uh space for music so there's a lot more music than there is text if that makes sense Mm so -hmm. so there's lot there's large sections where there is no text but he's still moving the drama the dramatical um he's still moving the drama forward in a musical way if that makes sense Okay. And uh, how long is the piece? it's 90 minutes So how many um arias are involved in of the sea? Uh, I believe there are four. Yeah, I think there's four or five. There's I, Each character has at least one. The main character has two. Now, how do you agree on um, the music? You're, you have the words and the emotion. So how are you connecting with Ian about the match between the two? Uh, well, it starts out with the choosing... Ian was the right, I knew Ian was the right composer um, based on our initial collaboration together in the Lib Lab. So we had a tester period where I knew that he was going to create the right music for the story that I wanted to tell or that we wanted to tell together. So that part was actually quite easy. The only parts, the parts where like there, there were certain parts where I was like, oh, why is the music so... light here he's actually telling a very difficult story or he's drowning here and it, it was like a lack of understanding or a lack of clarity on my part so some of it is um unlike a <clears throat> just like a play has subtext so does an opera especially an opera so <clears throat> not just writing the words I also had to write out the subtext and the what's happening that is unspoken so that Ian could create those moments musically. So a character might say something and the, if the music contradicts it, then you know maybe that character is lying or um, you know the character is going through a deep emotional, like is emotionally fraught in this moment because you can hear it in the music. So that's all things that we talk about together and make sure that we both are on the same page with the understanding. Okay, so how long was your collaboration on this piece? Um, so I can't remember exactly, but when, after we finished the Lib Lab in August, spring, August, sorry, August, September, 2018, um, I believe we started, we picked it up again, uh, either that winter or, or, or early spring of 2019. Um, yeah, so I would say from, from about 2019 until... just this year. <laughs> um, that's how long we, we've been collaborating on this. I suppose because of COVID, a lot of this was done um, via video. Yeah, I think it would, uh, it, it's pretty separate anyway. Like, it's not like, again, it's not like a musical, like really we, we work separately and we just needed to connect at specific moments to, to for feedback. But it it wouldn't have, I don't feel like the pandemic actually changed the way we would have worked on this anyway. Okay. Um, which is why I've, as I said, I very much take to writing opera because I, I like writing by myself. Um, 
and and it works in that way for me. So let's delve into the story of of the sea. Mm-hmm. You have your main character of Maduka, played by jo- played by and sung by Joel Williams. Tell mm-hmm. us about his character. Yeah, so Maduka is um, an African man who um, was was put aboard a slave ship and decided that he was no longer he was going to go on a hunger strike. He's very very obstinate, very headstrong, um, and that frustrated the enslavers. And so he decided that rather than than um, put up with them, he would take his own life. And so he did, but he also chose to take the life of his his infant daughter. We don't see any of this. We this is the, the story starts under the sea, but he tells us later that this is what he did. Um, so he wakes up under the sea and he's in, he's surrounded by other African people in the water. And they tell him about where he is, this magical place where they all exist and they're all in harmony. But that does it, that bumps for him. He's like, how can you all be happy to be under this cold water it's terrible we're we're so far from our god because for him his god is of the sun um and he embarks on this quest to find people who are like him who aren't satisfied with being water people and who um and who want to take revenge and take take back what was stolen from them so he 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 goes on this epic journey to to to, for revenge really and 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 to to get back what was his who are some of the other characters um, that are involved. I see main names such as Chantal Nurse, Suzanne Taffo, or Taffet, I'm not sure how she pronounces that. Taffo, yeah. Taffo and Justin Williamson. Tell mm-hmm. us about that, those cast members and who they play. So Suzanne plays um, Jifa. So she's the queen of uh, the Ereti people, who are the people who are happy and happy to be there and the um Chantel plays Serwa queen of the dissatisfied queen of the Inuegi who want revenge um Justin Welsh actually Justin Welsh plays Isuna who is a wanderer and is um uh from the same place that Maduka is from so they become friends um and then um Paul Williamson plays Yakar, um, who is a musician and is the, the person who finds Maduka initially. There's also a chorus of nine people who are, who are meant to represent thousands of people, of course. Um, and um, they play members of each kingdom. My apologies to Justin and Paul for mixing up <laughs> their, their last names. Okay. So um, you haven't actually used any of the... African uh, tribe names that I'm familiar with. Um, are these made up? Yeah, so uh, not everything is made up. Not everything is made up. I, of course, did my research and um, based uh, parts of the kingdoms, parts of the world on um, on real African religions of the time. Um, and then I created my own mythology. So I took it uh, I took it a, a step further. Um, the Inwegi and the Iriti people are not real people um, because if I had stuck to if I had stuck to reality, then it takes away the possibility of what I could do uh, in a myth in creating my own mythology. Mm-hmm. 
Understood. It's directed by the fabulous Philip Aiken. Um, I don't know what Black Theatre would be like without Philip Aiken, yeah. uh, Obsidian Theatre. So tell me, um, how long have you known Philip Aiken and were you able to watch the directing process? Yes, I have known Philip since I was pretty much right out of, well, I, I knew of him for my whole um, artistic life, really, but I, 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 I met him. And a relationship started to begin with him um, pretty much right af after I finished theater school, a couple years after. I was working on my own one woman, my first one person play. I was still an actor at that time. And I, I asked Obsidian if I could rehearse in the basement. And my play was very loud and <laughs> probably irritated Philip. But he he said that he loved it and loved having me there and, and hearing uh, my voice all of the time. So we started to chit chat through there and I became, I was uh, in Obsidian's Playwrights Unit for a couple of years. And then I asked Philip if I could be playwright in residence and he said yes um, and helped me get the grant to do that and um, directed a workshop of one of my plays. And from then we've just continued as he's, uh, oh yes, and I also assistant directed um, actually, which he directed uh, I can't remember the year, I want to say 2019. It was definitely before the pandemic. So I, I AD'd and we've just had that relationship for a number of years. Uh, as far as sitting in the rehearsal process, I am currently in uh, my, actually my last week at the CFC in the Bell Media Primetime TV program. Um, so I haven't been able to sit in as much as I wanted to. I've dropped in a couple of times and it's been amazing to watch him work, actually. It's such a treat and such nourishment for me, but I haven't been able to sit in as much as I've hoped. Well, it sounds like you have a wonderful relationship and mm -hmm. uh, how thrilled are you to have an all black cast doing opera? Yeah, it's amazing. Like I originally wanted even more <laughs> and I hope someday it will get a production where there's even more people, but I, I'm, I'm thrilled. They're, they're fantastic. And some of the, some of them told me that they hadn't been working for a long time and hadn't been booking anything, which I think is absurd. It's like, it's such an injustice or being cast below what I believe that their, their capabilities are. And so for me to be able to like be part of providing that space for them to shine the way that they're supposed to is a really big, important deal for me. Yeah, I mean, it's surprising that the Canadian Opera Company hasn't, you know, uh, done this, you know, mm -hmm. taken, taken the lead on doing something like this as a major mm -hmm. company, you know, mm -hmm. just giving uh, the opportunities, the space for an all black opera um, mm -hmm, in their mm -hmm. over a hundred year history. I know they're coming up with something, yeah. but, um, but still hooray that Obsidian Theater is still around and hooray mm -hmm. for Tapestry for, mm -hmm. um, you know, working together to bring this to the stage in partnership with T.O. Live. What is your, you said you spoke to some of the singers and um, you know, how, how thrilled they were they are to be mm -hmm. to be part of this mm -hmm. so does this mean kanika 
that you will be writing another opera? <laughs> I mean, I hope so. <laughs> the reality is somebody has to somebody has to ask me. Uh, so, so yeah, I I would love to at some point. Um, I do still have a full uh, a full number of years ahead of me with plays which I'm really thankful for like I've got a series of play commissions and um and uh, uh hopefully a fulsome tv career but I I'm not throwing opera out of the mix for sure and if another exciting opportunity comes around I will for sure hop on you're such a busy woman and <laughs> you know you have a child yes. and you know I think about my own life you know without children and I'm like I'm busy and I'm that I think of young people like you who are doing so much mm -hmm. and um, so you are inspiring me to maybe get back to some of my own writing that I used to do in the past but yeah. um, but make sure you're doing your self-care yeah I mean <laughs> I'll be real it's it's tough it's tough right now I um but I am I'm trying my best to savor every moment that I get. Uh, like this morning, my son woke up at 5.20 a.m. And rather than be disgruntled about it, I was like, you know what? Okay, we have this opportunity to, to cuddle and read in bed. And, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I won't have that for the rest of the day because I'm packed up for the rest of the day and I won't see him at bedtime. So um, I do try and savor whatever moments that I can. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, make, you, and you're making you're taking care of your child, but also make sure that you're taking care of yourself Thank because you. <laughs> because we need we need your work. Thank right. You. And you can't produce if you're not rested. So let me play auntie and tell you to take care of yourself. Thank and you. Um, I'm looking forward uh, to of the sea again, March 25th to April 1st at the Bluma Appel Theater. Um, for folks who think they don't know it, they do know it. It's right next to uh, the Meridian Center um, at 27 Front Street. I look forward to our next conversation. Yeah. And, you know, thank you so much for the wonderful Our Place. You thank know, you. it's like your amazing set was wonderful. Your characters <laughs> were amazing. I just wanted to walk through that imaginary door you know, and order some, you know, jerk pea, jerk chicken and rice and peas. Honestly, Thank it was you. fantastic. Thank Very real. You. Thank you. I miss it so much. I miss it so much. I wish I could go back there. <laughs> yeah. It's like, but you're busy. Yeah. <laughs> but you're busy. That's a good yes. thing. Anyway, um, I will let you go. And thank you so mm -hmm. much for allowing me to be one of the interviews that you have today. Thank you for the conversation. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, thanks for doing your work. I hope you enjoyed my interview with librettist Kanika Ambrose. A reminder that Of the Sea runs March 25th to April 1st with performances Tuesdays to Saturdays at 8 p.m. at the Bluma Appel Theatre, 27 Front Street East. Tickets start at $39 and are, of course, available now online. www.obsidiantheater.com O-B-S-I-D-I-A-N-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot com
CIUT 89.5, the sound of your city. Stream CIUT at www.ciut.fm. You're listening to The More the Merrier with Donna G. My guest is Luis Fernandez, and we're here to talk about the Assembly Theatre. Have you ever heard about it? I haven't. It's at 1479 Queen Street West, and Luis Fernandez is the co-artistic director and the booking manager, and he sent me an email, and I thought, oh, let's explore. So, Luis, welcome to The More the Merrier with Donna G. Welcome to CIUT. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Donna. And thank you for your email alerting me to the comic book show that's coming up. But I want to back up and uh, introduce our listeners and any artists out there, because you are the booking manager, to mm-hmm. the Assembly Theatre. How long has it been around? Uh, the Assembly Theatre has been around since 2017. And in some ways, it's sort of a spiritual successor to the Unit 102 Theatre, which was the previous theatre that I ran. Uh, for almost a decade, uh, over at Dufferin and Queen. Um, and of course, as like, the story often goes in Parkdale, uh, there was gentrification eventually had that building get sold, in which we had to move our place for the second time. Um, and in that transition, when you're working with artists that are you know, volunteering their time and, and don't have those sort of resources uh, and are trying to create their own work as well as the theater space, uh, in that transition, we did lose a lot of people to other companies um, and just like life. And so um, in 2017, when we sort of found a new spot, uh, we decided to rebrand it and rename it to the Assembly Theater. Uh, and initially, we were partnered with Leroy Street Theater. Um, but now the Assembly is three people strong. Well, we have also a great volunteer team, which I want to give a shout out to. But um, it's me, my, uh, myself, Luis Fernandez, with Cass Van Wick, who's the, old, the other co-artistic director, and Shin Palpain, who is our TD. Um, and together with our sort of crack team of indie artists, uh, we do our best to keep the space running. Uh, the, no one who runs the Assembly Theater gets paid. We, we exist solely on rentals, grant applications, and good luck. Uh, but the whole mandate of our space is to have a place for people to experiment, uh, for young people to get their feet wet, and just uh, to have a theater space that's for people to to do their work um, and not have to spend gobs of money. Um, and, and that's sort of the whole idea behind it is just to have an affordable theater space because uh, in this sort of atmosphere after the uh, the pandemic a lot of spaces have folded a lot of prices are quite high and so we just want to make sure that the theater arts scene has a place to thrive now you threw out an um, an acronym and i want our audience to be familiar with this uh term td oh yeah the technical director so chin is involved with all the stuff that deals with our lighting our sound uh when people come to our space obviously a lot of new uh theater makers um often come from an acting or a script writing background, but don't usually have the knowledge of, of, of tech or, or that sort of stuff and how equipment works. And so uh, having a TD is invaluable for a theater space like mine to just instruct people who may be writing a board for the first time or running a show for the first time. So Chin is an invaluable tool to help people uh, climatize the space and get familiar. And um, yeah, I just, we're so lucky to have them. I've never been to the theater. Is it uh, like a black box? Absolutely. Black box theater, 60 seater. Um, actually, ironically, as a third iteration, it's still a very similar size on all three iterations. Um, but yeah, black black box theater, two washrooms, a, black, a nice green room space, very, very intimate, uh, best for sort of small scale. Uh, comedy shows work really well there, as do uh, two-hander, three-hander plays. But I mean, we've seen it stretch to its capacity with 12, uh, cast of 12 with, with, with really cool sets. I mean, 
the things people can do with a black box space is quite amazing. Since you're the theater person, I'll let you um, explain what a black box is. Yeah, well, I mean, in its essence, it's just a quite literally in my in, in terms of my space as well it is just a black room uh so we we painted the entire place black to keep it as neutral as possible uh so that it acts as sort of a neutral backdrop to any of the art that takes place on it uh black also good just for like lighting and stuff like that keeping it neutral uh but we do as a rental uh house uh do allow our renters to alter the space within reason um, and paint it different colors add things on hang things of course that are safe and that's why we have a td so that we can make sure that everything we do there is safe but um yeah that's that's what it is i mean i i'm loath to say this but it has the feel of those sort of new york style off off broadway places i don't like to compare to uh, new york we're canadians and it's a toronto space and uh, we're proudly torontonian um but yes it has been compared to a lot of these pop-up spaces you'd find in the united states one of the things that I saw on your website is that um, you have room for people who want to rehearse or do play readings or or classes. Yes, and I mean, I, I would say that's a good chunk of the people that use our space. Uh, it's more of a development lab. Um, these days, uh, costs for rehearsal, just for simple empty rooms, garages, things like that are quite expensive in our city. Um, and so, yeah, our price point being pretty reasonable um, against other spaces of our size and shape, uh, people do use it a lot for rehearsal, for developing work. Um, we spend most of our daytime hours. We are sort of uh, sandwiched next to another business that operates a kitchen during the day. So um, we tend to do most of our sort of presentations and performances in the evening, uh, just so we have better sound control, which in Toronto you can't possibly ever truly have. Um, but that's why the daytime use is generally classes and people rehearsing. Yeah, I know in an urban space, you, you, you're you always going to to have noise, I don't, even in larger theaters um, sometimes. Uh, right. So I just think it's, you know, the fact that you give, you offer reasonable prices for people who just want a space to, to rehearse is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, very reasonable uh, rates as well. So mm -hmm. that's for the artists who are listening or maybe somebody who, you know, is like, you know, has written their own indie play and wants to have, you know, feel a bit more professional and have a rehearsal space. It's fantastic. Okay. Yeah, so we're always looking for new people to come through. I mean, if anyone has something they want to share or something they want to present to us or offer us, we're, we're always looking to help um, at the very minimum the people that we work with have great expertise and have been doing this kind of art uh, with the smallest budgets possible for the longest time. And so there's just a lot uh, collectively, just such a lot of um, knowledge that can be shared with our company and, and the people that are, we're associated with. So yeah, if you are an artist and you have something that you, even if you want to just pick our brain about how indie theater is made or how, what are the options are in the city we're always open at our um at our email at theassemblytheater.com and there's single night events also available and week-long bookings as well just want to throw that out there for for people but now let's talk about shows i want to know how you operate if uh, some of the shows that are listed on your space are some of them rentals are is the assembly theater producing or co-producing let's start with uh the play with uh, an, an, a wonderful name, Five Lesbians Eating a Quiche. Yes. Uh, Five Lesbians Eating a Quiche is actually our next show coming. It uh, runs from March 31st to April 2nd in the evenings. Are, there's one special matinee uh, performance on April 1st. Um, and yeah, the show is a group that actually, um, Cass Van Wick, um, we did a general auditions uh, back in the fall. And it did give us um, access to a lot of young people that were just coming sort of fresh out of school and had an opportunity to sort of touch base and touch 
down with sort of the uh, our our company with other indie companies also took place. So during that, um, I think it was four days of sort of just auditions just to meet people that we held. Uh, we met a lot of great people, and I think that really inspired um, um, Cass, who in particular, who uh, which we'll get to her show next after this. But like, she just met so many great creatives, and um, this company, Unit Six, um, just sort of approached us with the show. Um, their enthusiasm and the, and their sort of just for the project was so high. And um, Cass just sort of took it under her wing to be like, yes, I want to help you co-produce this. Um, and yeah, we were really excited to have them. And actually, they take the space just next week. And uh, uh, so I was going to read the description because uh, I was sent this today. Um, so it is middle America, uh, the mid 20th century. And we are spotlighting middle class women, women coming together as a community of sisters for the annual quiche breakfast of the Susan B. Anthony Society, the sister of the Gertrude Stein. After much talk of the quiches of past, present, and future, the sisters' breakfast is turned upside down by an explosive surprise. Yet, throughout it all, these women find comfort and community through their shared love for the egg. Um, so as you can imagine, with a, with a blurb like that, um, it's got a bit of an absurdist tone. I, I, uh, from what we've seen, it's going to be quite funny. And uh, I just think it's just going to be a great piece, and it's really quite kooky. So I think that people will really enjoy it. Yeah, definitely sounds like fun. Um, the next show that uh is there uh tell us about that yeah so the next show is uh bone cage uh which is actually a governor general award-winning play by Catherine bank um this play is being uh, directed for the first time uh by my partner Cass van wick at the space um who honestly um i just think that in my opinion is such a great creative and such an amazing mind and one of the most gracious people i've ever known so i'm very excited for her the opportunity to direct for the first time um this show goes on may 5th to may 20th um, you know, it's set in rural Nova Scotia and it uses uh, elements of magic, realism, poetry uh, and social commentary. Um, you know, it's been considered a modern Canadian masterpiece is what it was called in the Chronicle Herald. So it's a really great play, um, quite sad and quite uh, gives you a lot to think about. But um, what I'm particularly excited about with this piece that Cass is doing is that, you know, the generally speaking, when you're doing indie productions where the cast is supposed to be quite young, uh, generally speaking, you use older actors sort of to play young is sort of the, the the rule of thumb. And I thought that's that's generally just because the creatives that are working that you know are, uh, for like very little, you know, typically are, are are doing passion projects, and you don't always have access to young actors. Um, and uh, right now, because we had these general auditions, we were able to find um, very sort of age appropriate actors for these roles. And so it's it's a it's a very intense piece, and I think that having people in the right ages filling these roles, I think, will really um, be powerful and sending home the message of that play. So I'm really, really excited for it. And um, we, they just went into rehearsal start. I think yesterday was one of their, or two days ago was their first reading. Uh, so they're well underway to get this process started. And we're really excited, excited to pr present the show. Tell me about this general auditions. Yeah, well, I mean, the, you know, going, um, when you're sort of young, coming out of the university, uh, like theater sort of training, you know, there's not really any sort of roadmap as how do you sort of start getting started when you go into the city and, and start start your career path. Um, and so and, and as much as universities and schools try to teach you uh, ways and how, and how it's, it really is sort of uh, a live or die kind of situation where you just have to figure out for yourself. So, you know, we were young ones and we uh had to figure that out for ourselves and i think that when you have a platform like a theater space like ours it's sort of a responsibility to make sure that the people who need access to a space like ours get it and of course that includes sort of emerging artists coming from school and 
I just think there's such an intimidating thing entering the Toronto theater scene with so many different companies and so much going on uh, that it's important that people extend an olive branch to make sure that there's a place to be seen and just to like start to meet people and get your feet wet. And so, you know, past has always been very much about that. And um, I am as well. And so we just thought, why not? You know, we're coming out of a pandemic. We're just trying to start up again. I mean, the pandemic was quite challenging for us, as you can imagine. If we're just happy to be around still. Um, and so where do you begin in sort of like um, creating work again and getting the ball rolling again? And Pass just thought it would be a wonderful idea to start with maybe a general audition. And, and, and in truth, we didn't have any projects that were ready to rock and roll. We just we just so we weren't necessarily casting for anything. We just wanted to start meeting people. And so we, you know, um, reached out and, and, and invited people to come and audition. We had a huge turnout. I think it was something like 200 plus applicants. And we were able to see as many as we could. Um, in fact, we had to sort of limit to some of the people because people were auditioning that we would we knew from other contexts or other projects. And we sort of had to let it say, no, we're here to see new people. But thank you so much for your interest. Because we had to whittle it down. And it, it was like a four days, four days of auditions from top to bottom. So it was, and I, I was only able to sit in on a few of them. So I was also working at the time. And it was just great. It was very, uh, it's just so much, such talented people are, are in our city. And and the, the emerging artists are no, uh, it's just to see that kind of talent coming from people that haven't even established themselves yet. You know, it was very inspiring. And I think that was one of the impetuses for why Cass chose Bone Cage as our next production. How long have you been working with Cass? We started actually, it's a funny story. I, I had basically, um, I guess it was around 2019. Um, I know I was basically running the assembly alone. It had been a few months of sort of because I had lost some you know the guard had changed people were going on to other projects and I was sort of running this indie theater by myself and I think it was a hubris of my youth I thought I could do that and that would be okay but of course that was not sustainable for myself and my mental health um and so I was at a place in my life where I, I didn't want to lose the theater because I think it's very important that we have it but at the same time I, I just knew that I couldn't do it on my own and without really a, a operating budget it's like how can you convince people to take on this responsibility when there's no sort of financial compensation attached necessarily to it. And so I was just sort of putting my feelers out to other creatives and people that I knew. And Cass was someone I had done a show with um, and was always a great uh, ally. Um, and she was just so enthusiastic about coming on board. And I almost didn't believe her at first because I felt like, why would you possibly want to do this? It's a lot of work. Uh, but but she had a background in working with the Storefront Theater, which was another indie uh, theater um, where, where I was with Unit 102, where we weren't rivals. We were just sort of doing it at the same time, and we actually became quite close. Um, and she was working with that company, um, and she just had great fond memories of her because when she came to this Toronto theater scene, she wasn't from Toronto. Uh, she was coming from, like, the Niagara area, and, you know, these indie theaters provided her first walk into the Toronto theater scene, and she just wanted to pay that forward, so she wanted to get involved. And we started to really work together to re rebuild our branding and rebuild... Um, just, just, just to start fresh. And right when we thought we started, we just had assembled a team of volunteers that we were like uh, searching for, and it really felt like we had some momentum. And then the pandemic hit, and for the almost the majority of the time that Cass has been working with me at the space, we have been in a pandemic and pivoting from trying to create this indie theater theater scene to just trying to survive. And I'm proud to say that we succeeded in that uh, through generous donations through pivoting online to grants from the government to all the things that we could possibly do to survive. And so now we're back and the theater is open again and we can open our doors again. And that's exciting, but we've been off, you know, from doing productions for two and a half years. So even we feel a sense of inertia, a sense of rust. And so I feel like 
this was, you know, it's been a bit of a growing, I mean, we've been reopened since I guess May 2022 now, and it only feels like right now do things really feel like they're happening again. And um, yeah, this is the, this is such a lovely time to speak to you because it, 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 it feels like finally we're back. And so, yeah. Yeah. I would, yeah. I would agree with you there. It feels like things are, are surely, but, um, you know, slowly but surely things are coming back in terms of live events and, and live theater, which brings mm-hmm. me to comic books live. Yes, <laughs> of course. Yeah, this is my uh, my, my new show that I'm producing. Um, and I guess you could say it's quite of a niche thing. Um, I myself am, um, as, as much as I am an actor and a theater creator, uh, one of the things that could be truly said about me is I'm a huge comic book nerd. Um, I've been collecting them since I was a young man and, and it is something of a passion of mine. And, you know, my whole life I've been sort of um, viewing the world of comic books from the outside as a fan, you know, and going to expos and, and going to these conventions and reading books. But like, it's a very, it feels like a very isolationist practice. Like you love these things and, but it feels like it's very sort of nerdy. Like I don't have a lot of people to talk to about this. Not a lot of people read comic books and it's not true. A lot of people read comic books. I do. But where do you find Yes. Well, that's great. <laughs> um, and so where do you find community to talk about this? And I don't know if you go online to do that, but, you know, the online spheres for comic books to discussion can be quite toxic, can be quite angry, can be quite opinionated. And I, and for me, I've always wanted to share this love in a way that's positive. I'm excited about them. We get excited about comic books and about graphic fiction. So why are we always shit talking it apologize for that language why are you always bad mouthing it why are we always saying it's not like oh, oh why i hate this writer oh he's ruining it for us like it's this real negative energy that goes into the discussion of this stuff and i just wanted to find and create a hub where people can gather to to enjoy comic books talk about comic books um and, and have a positive space for that and that's really what the impetus for this was um but I didn't expect, so the idea behind Comic Books Live is that we take a comic book from any era, uh, any time. Um, if we can, we try to focus on local artists and have them show their, uh, showcase their book at our show. But ultimately what we do is we take scripts for, for comic books, we transcribe them into a play script, and we do a live reading. And it kind of acts like an aud- a live audio book where people can purchase or bring their own copy of the book. We keep the house lights on and we do a dramatic reading, whether it's dramatic or comedic. And you can read along with the book, like it's like a like you're getting a live action sort of comic book. You have your own a- uh, group of actors that are going to reenact and dram- dramatize it for you, and it's a lot of fun. And we only uh, we did our first one at the beginning of March, where we read X Men number one, the '90s one. Uh, people have a, a huge affinity for the X Men uh, cartoon series of the '90s. A lot of people, young creatives these days, talk about how that was their first experience um, in the world of superheroes was the X Men cartoon series, and I certainly. It resonates huge with me. So that was the first we chose. And we, we, we had a great group of actors and comedians that brought it to life. And we had a blast. And um, the next one coming up on April 7th, which I'm really excited about, which is two weeks away today. So a lot of promoing to do in the, the days to come. But is uh, we're doing actually, it's a it's local creators, Dwayne Murray and Sean Daly's Better Place. It's a graphic novel that was uh, created and, and published by um, Top Shelf Productions during the pandemic. So they never got a chance to do a proper press junction junction uh juncture what is it junk junket junkets that's the word i'm looking for they never got to do that they never got to have a book launch um so when i started the show i Dwayne murray was is also an actor and a friend and i knew that i was very inspired when i saw that he published his own graphic novel i was i was floored i was like oh my god if he can do it maybe i can do it like it really was an inspiration to me i reached out to him and said would you like to promo your book at my show 
And he said, I'll do you one better. I haven't done a book launch for the show yet or for the book yet. Do we have an episode of your show just to be just to launch the book and do a dramatic reading of our book? And I was like, absolutely. I was thrilled. And so that's what we're doing. Which that's one night only. Um, and he's collected some wonderful actors that I'm not. Li- I'm just at the liberty to start um, releasing over on our social media. But he's got a great group of actors together to read it. Um, they're selling uh, copies uh, at a reduced rate. So for 40 bucks, you can see the show dramatized, get a copy of the graphic novel to read along, and you can get it signed and meet the creators at the end of the show. So it's a really cool event. And um, tickets are on sale right now at theassemblytheater.com. And we're just so excited. I'm just so, I, as a fan, like this is the first one I got to like transcribe an X-Men comic and have a lot of fun and perform on stage with my friends. But this one, I feel, I am just a fan. I cannot wait to sit there. Um, and this graphic novel is great. It's such an emotionally touching uh, book. Um, I just, uh, which I just read. Uh, I cannot wait to just sit in the audience like a fan and, and hear them read it out loud while I, while I follow a lot. I'm actually thrilled about that. In the last few minutes that we have, can you mention a couple of the the cast readers and also a synopsis of uh, Better Place? Yeah, um, well, the Better, Better Place is about like a young man who, um, you know, who, who's living in a fantasy world with his grandfather. And they just have this rapport that the, um, his mother feels might be a little unhealthy because uh, they're living in this fantasy world. And when the grandfather goes away to a better place, you know, the our protagonist seeks out their grandfather and... It's about like loss and 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 living in a world of fantasy and it's it, it's just it, it it's it's very much um takes place in Canada and it has like the feel of of here and now and I, I Sean Daly's art is just gorgeous um and I'm not sure what his I look forward to hearing his talk back at the show uh but you know I get a real Kelvin and Hobbes esque vibe from it like classic sort of cartooning style but like just chock full of, of expression and emotion. So it's really beautiful art. And um, I'm really excited to showcase it. And I'm going to pull up some of the actors that they've, because this is actually, this is fresh. You're getting the scoop here because this is fresh off the, of my, you know, this morning. We just, we just um, got some people confirmed finally. Uh, so yeah, we have uh, Josh Peace and Sugith uh, Farkasi are both in it, um, as well as uh, um, <laughs> Fearless Red from, uh, from uh, The Edge will be uh, doing a character as well. Lewis, it's been a fantastic introduction. Uh, wonderful to meet you. And I'm I'm thrilled by your excitement for what you do. You. And that's how, that's what a job should be. You know? I agree. <laughs> you should be excited about your job. Exactly. So, and I have a lot of jobs I'm not excited about. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so. very much for sharing about the Assembly Theatre uh theassemblytheater.com and mm-hmm. uh all the events are there including the comic book um live which is happening on april the 7th and again for those of you who don't know where the comic book th- uh the comic book theater uh the assembly <laughs> theater is it's at 1479 queen street west and um, all the information is on the website and you can reach out um, about the comic book event, the other plays, and also booking the theater with Lewis. So again, yeah. thank you so much, Lewis. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning in to The More the Merrier with Donna G. I really appreciated you spending this time with me. My chat with Kanika led me to a track that I'm going to play next, ending the show with. It's called Nozelli in Passage hyphen Jenny in Love. 
It's by Wal Matthews and Alita Green. Before I go, how you can get in touch with me, www.ciut.fm. Click on the more the merrier and my contact details are there. Or simply at TMTM with Donna G on Facebook, Instagram, and yes, still Twitter. Bye-bye. Longing for myself in the home of myself. Dear sister, you were so brave to jump into the waters rather than have that death that I go to. You chose the final death of blessed homeland. I am a coward. I could not throw myself into the sea. Not me. Listen, sister. There is a crib cry in my shaking voice. I have just been born, pushing through the womb of sorrow that is a farewell to my blood and all its heirs. But there is a grief, sister, that now beats upon my fears like a drum. Remember me. Dead as you are, do not forget this party. Are there gratuities of death? One day, come and tell me, and I will rejoice. Night passes over. There are sounds and hissings. My heart weeps in the dark. I go from one land to another, boat to boat, sea to sea. Creature of dust, dying in the wind bloom. Oh, sister. A home is shattered. All I know of it, or will ever know, is stuffed between the limbs of a Portuguese ship. What will I do without you, Odanga? Somehow I feel my sanity slipping. What is memory is sitting beside me in the dark. But I believe it is daylight outside. A slip of it stole into the boat a short while ago, and it, too, now is captive. Why have we come to this? What am I doing here?
paddle in the boat. A harder one in my breast. A striking of pain. A beating drum with a message of doom. I've wanted to tell you, sister, about this pain, but I couldn't. You were too close to it and to my hope. Remember me. But now I journey to this strange, unbidden land where they will call me Sally. And my dreams will hang from trees like rotten fruit. Oh, the grief, the grief. Sister, remember me. Yet I'm beyond the passage of this boat. I go on another journey while the cold air spins and the great sails pipe. And when this vessel finds its final harbor, I will not be with it. No, indeed. Not even my aching breath will please the passions of these merchants. My body is at its end. A sorrow in the heart tells me, and I so receive it willingly, joyfully. Oh, I celebrate these raptures. Sister, I choose the tender way. Listen. 